Is there a desire in you to not just attend revival, but live in revival? Welcome to the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Saldivar. I've been in revival for the last 10 years, as well as traveling and being a part of many revivals throughout the United States. I'm going to be sharing with you how to live a radical lifestyle of revival on a daily basis. If you don't know, we have been making this a thing where we've been going through the book of John. In fact, we're trying to go through all the books of the New Testament on live stream. All the books of the New Testament on live stream. This is very ambitious. It's going to take me some time. But if you don't know so far, we've already done the book of Romans, the book of Acts, the book of Revelations, the book of Revelation, the book of Ephesians, the book of Philippians, Colossians, and those are all on the channel playlist. It's taken me like a year and a half to do these. And now we're going into the book of John and we are on, I think, part five tonight. We're going to be starting chapter seven. So get your Bibles out, get your notebooks out, get excited about what God is doing. Get excited about what God is saying. Jump in this with us. This is John. As you guys know, John wrote the book of Revelation and wrote the gospel of John. He also wrote 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. It's believed that he wrote the, the gospel of John around 85 to 90 AD. So about 80 to 90 years after Jesus died, this was written. If you don't know, John is my favorite gospels in the four gospels. And the book of Revelation is one of my favorite books of the Bible. I just love John. I love the book of John. So make sure that you guys get your Bibles out and follow along with us. This will be a lot of storytelling here in the book of John. I'm going to be going through giving my commentary, but there's not a lot of super like deep stuff that I can add to because a lot of this is going to be conversations that Jesus has with the Pharisees. If you don't know, the Pharisees can't stand Jesus. The Pharisees are after Jesus. They're wanting to discredit him. They're wanting to kill him. They're wanting to declare that he is a false prophet. So this is what we're going to be seeing as we go into the book of John. We're going to be opening in John chapter 7 verse 1. So if you have your Bibles out, we're going to be putting on this screen for those of you that don't have your Bibles out. And I want you guys to read along with me, follow with me, get your family, have fun, make it a fun thing, get some pizza, make it like a Monday night. We go through the Bible so your kids are excited about the Word of God. That is the goal. We God is not boring. The Bible's not boring. This is one of the reasons why I want to work together with you guys on these books is so that we can get people excited and passionate about the Word of God once again because there's not enough passion. There's not enough zeal for the Word of God. If you don't have a Bible, I'm going to go ahead and put it on screen. I also have the comments out in front of me, so go ahead and comment and all that stuff and we'll be able to engage. Okay, John chapter 7, Jesus' brothers disbelieve. Oh, just the title. It, it does not feel good here. Verse 1, after these things, and we know Jesus fed the 5,000, Jesus walked in water, all of that we talked about two weeks ago that's on the channel, that's after the those things. So that's what John is saying in verse 1. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brothers therefore said to him, depart from here and go into Judea. There your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one does, look at what they said here. This is his brothers, his half brothers talking. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, they don't believe here. They're saying, if you do these things, uh, saying that basically showing us they don't believe, show yourself to the world. And then look what it says in verse five, for even his brothers did not believe him. Jesus's own brothers. This is after, remember the disciples of the chapter previous, the disciples abandon him because the disciples are, Jesus says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And the disciples are going, who can understand that? Jesus speaking spiritually, not physically. So the people are abandoning him and his very own disciples don't, his very own brothers don't believe in him. Now, instead of Jesus choosing the most direct route, often Jesus will determine who he wants to see, 
or who he doesn't want to see or he wants to avoid based on the route. So for example, he goes to see the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well. He chose that route, even though it wasn't a direct route, because Jesus is choosing who he does and who he doesn't want to see. And ever since he healed the paralyzed man at the pool of Bethesda, which we talked about a few weeks ago, on the Sabbath, the religious leaders from that point forward, the Bible says, have been trying to kill Jesus, have been looking for Jesus to kill him. They have bad intentions in mind for him. They don't want Jesus spreading the message that he's spreading. They don't want Jesus talking the way that he's talking. And so Jesus is going this way to avoid certain opposition. Now, when it's time to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus's half brothers come and say, if you are who you say you are, if you really are the Messiah you claim to be, then why are you in secret? Why are you not doing these miraculous signs, displaying your power, letting everybody know who you are? And they're telling him, go and show the world who you really are because, because they don't believe in him. And some of you are like, oh, my family doesn't believe I'm a Christian or believe in what I say. Jesus's half brothers did not believe in him. If you don't know what the Feast of Tabernacles is, it's a week-long Thanksgiving celebration for the harvest, a, com a commemoration of the Israelites wandering in the wilderness, and a time to look for God's coming Messiah. So this is literally all about remembering what God has done, commemorating what God has done, and then looking to the Messiah, not realizing the one they're looking towards is going to show up here at the Feast of Tabernacles. This falls in september or october of our calendar year it's also one of the three pilgrim feasts for which jewish men are required to go to jerusalem they basically lived in temporary booths to remind themselves of how god was faithful to their ancestors in the wilderness so this whole event was a reminder of the faithfulness of god in the wilderness it was all about remembering and also looking forward to the messiah that is coming and then in the midst of all of this jesus's own brothers don't believe he's the messiah and they're telling jesus make a grand entrance Come to the Feast of Tabernacles, show everybody who you are. You say you're the Messiah. And what we're going to see in the next few chapters is the Pharisees don't understand if you're claiming to be the Messiah, then why aren't you making yourself known in public? Why are you doing things in secret? Why are you doing miracles and telling them not to tell anybody? Jesus said this, remember, the world will hate you because you're my disciples. So maybe you're on this broadcast and you're like, nobody believes in me. My family doesn't believe in me. My friends don't believe in me. Jesus' own brothers did not believe in him. These are Jesus' brothers. How bad does that feel when your own brothers don't believe in you? And yet Jesus says, they're going to hate you because they hated me first. So if you're dealing with hate right now, if people online are saying things about you, if I'm helping somebody tonight. Somebody let me know what you think about if I'm helping in the chat. If people at work are talking bad about you, if people at school are talking bad about you, remember that they hated Jesus first. They didn't believe in Jesus, so they're not going to believe you. So being hated is part of the territory. So many Christians have this longing to be liked have this longing to everybody to get along with them. But the reality is if you're a preacher or a pastor or a leader, you're just not going to have everybody like you. You're just not going to have everybody get along with you. And you're going to have to realize the more you do for God, the more people that you preach to, the more people that you reach. Also, the adverse effect is the more people are not going to like you. So the Bible's like, don't be shocked when people don't like you. Don't like, oh, they made a video about me. Oh, they dislike me. Oh, they said a bad thing. Actually, Jesus promised that. In fact, the Bible says, woe unto you when every man speaks well of you. So it's worse to be where everybody likes you than it is to be where people hate on you. But they hate on you because you're Christ's disciples. And we're going to see here why they hated on Jesus. Why was it they were hating on Jesus? Why was it they were disliking Jesus? We're going to see right here. Watch this. Oh no, my computer's messing up. Hold on, guys. My screen is not changing. Let me fix this. Give me one second. 
I knew I should have, hmm, how could I fix this? Let me fix this, give me one second. Stay with me, do, 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 do. I think that will help. Well, that, is that gonna change the scene? Yes, okay. We're gonna make that work. Actually, I'm gonna move that here. The nerdiness pays off. The nerdiness pays off, we fix it. Computer's having issues here, we're gonna get it worked out. Okay, let's look at verse six, John seven, where we have time. Okay, I don't need to stress out about this, we got time. Let's go to verse six. Then Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. So he's telling them, they're saying, his, his brothers this, go show yourself. Jesus says, my time has not come, but your time is always ready. The world, look at what he says here in verse seven, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me. And this is why Jesus is gonna show us, because I testify that its works are evil. You go up to this feast, I am not yet going up to the feast, for my time is not fully come. When he had said these things, he remained in Galilee. So Jesus is on his own timetable. No one is going to pressure Jesus into doing anything. This is the theme you're gonna see. Nobody's gonna tell Jesus what he has to do or what he doesn't have to do. But he's gonna show us why the world hates him. It's not that they hate him for absolutely no reason. Now the Pharisees, which we're gonna see, hate him because he claims to be God. He claims to be not just God, the son of God, but also God in the flesh. And that would be considered blasphemy to the Pharisees. The world hates him. And this is what Jesus said. He doesn't say the Pharisees. He says, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me. And then this is the sole reason why the world hates me, because I testify it of it that its works are evil. Why did they hate Jesus? Because he spoke against the evil works. He was calling out the evil in society. He was drawing a line in the sand and people hated him because of it. These woke progressive churches we have in America, they don't want to call anything evil. They don't want to call anything wrong. They think everything is okay, everything is admissible, everything is a gray area, but the true gospel comes and confronts and says, this is sin, this is wicked, this is wrong, and it's not just do what you want, feel how you wanna feel, go where you wanna go, marry who you wanna marry, get in bed with who you wanna get in bed with, it's this is wrong and this is right. There is a way that is right unto men, and then there is God's way. So the, tra the same is true today. We need to draw a line. Pe there should be people that hate us because we call their works evil. Like I, I know there's a ton of people that are in the world that hate that I call out certain groups, call out certain agendas, call out things in the church. But you know what? I'm not gonna be bullied by social media companies. I'm not gonna be bullied by atheists online or random people on the internet i'm going to keep calling their works evil and exposing the works of darkness jesus was not like these pastors that don't want to call anything out i know a lot of you are like look at what happened at the grammys we'll call it out that is evil and i'll talk about that friday it is wrong it is demonic it is the devil controlling these people and we as believers are to say this is wicked this is wrong so don't get shocked when your friends and family hate you because you picked a side don't get shocked when they hate you because you call sin sin and condemn their lifestyle it's part of the territory it's part of the christian life people are going to hate us people are going to talk bad about us people are going to say wicked things about us because what we're what they're doing we're saying is wrong we're literally just calling them out saying this is wicked this is demonic this is wrong and the bible jesus did this we do not we do not need to be afraid of doing this this is what god is calling us to do Verse 10, but when his brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. And then look what verse 11 says. Then the Jews, look what it says here. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, where is he? So there's a stir going on here. 
Jesus shows up to the feast. They're wondering where he is. And there was much complaining among the people concerning him. Some said, he is good. Others said, no, on the contrary, he deceives people. So they're calling Jesus a deceiver here. However, no one spoke openly of him for the fear of the Jews. So you would literally get in trouble for even talking about Jesus, for even just having anything to do with him, any part with him, you'd be in trouble. You would get, you would get persecuted by the Jews. So everybody's in secret talking about him. Some saying he's good. Some saying he's wrong. Jesus comes in secret, doesn't make his presence known, and they hate him so much, you get in trouble for even talking about him. Is that not like the world we live in today? Is that not like what's happening today? Where even if you talk about Jesus, you get in trouble? Even if you mention the name of Jesus, you get in trouble. Even if you say Jesus is Lord or Jesus is the only way, you get taken off of social media platforms. In fact, I have a video coming out Thursday. I won't tell you what it is yet, but this, what's happening right now, the, 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 the article I cover could change everything. That we might be, I thought persecution was like, truthfully, five or 10 years away, but I'm starting to realize that persecution is going to be coming, I believe, in the very near future, and things can get a whole lot worse, even faster than I thought, based on some cases that are happening in other countries, and they're saying they want to bring this to America, because literally it's going to get to a point where I could be getting jailed, go to jail, for preaching stuff I've already been preaching, saying things I've already been saying. There's likely a time coming where we're going to be serving jail time or hefty fines, definitely not allowed to be on all these platforms for preaching and standing for truth. So the option is going to be, do we stand for truth in the midst of persecution or do we bow down because we don't want to get deep platform? We don't want to go to jail where there's going to be a clear line drawn here. The people are afraid of talking about Jesus because of the backlash from the religious people. The people are shocked. They don't understand this. So look at verse 14. Now, about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up to the temple and began to te and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, how does this man, look at this, how does this man know, know letters having never studied? So they don't understand. They're shocked because he doesn't have this theological degree or this training with a known rabbi. So they don't understand how does Jesus know the things that he knows. Jesus is a carpenter considered by them. And in a real sense, he was uneducated in theological scriptures or in school or in didn't have a rabbi that he was following didn't have a known rabbi they didn't dress like a rabbi but they don't understand that he's speaking such words because understand the words came directly from god jesus's words came straight from god so he didn't need all of that he didn't need all the fancy stuff because he's speaking words from god because he is god jesus says i only speak what the father tells me or what i hear my father speak so these pharisees are confused with he doesn't have knowledge he doesn't have doctrine but here jesus is speaking knowing the letters knowing the truth verse 16 jesus answered and said to them my doctrine is not mine so he's not coming bringing his own doctrine my doctrine is not mine but his who sent me capital h which is his father if anyone wills to do his will speaking of his father he shall know, he shall know concerning the doctrine whether it is from god or whether i speak on my own authority Verse 18, he who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true and no unrighteousness is in him. These are all capital H's. So stay, look at that. Verse 19, did not Moses give you the law? Yet none of you keep the law, keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? So Jesus makes it clear. The message is not coming from me. And then he points out their hypocrisy that they don't even keep the law. 
that these religious people want to tell everybody else whether they're right or wrong, yet they break the law that they're saying that they are upholding. So you're going to see incredible hypocrisy in these Pharisees. And we see this today with religious people. They're incredibly arrogant. They're incredibly hypocritical. They claim that they know everything. We don't know anything. We don't know sound doctrine. And they know they know it all. Yet they don't live it. They don't walk it out. And they break the laws they accuse us of breaking. They're breaking the same laws. So these people, you're going to be like, wow, I know people like this. Well, because Pharisees are still around. Religious people are still around. We are still living in a day where there's religious people all over social media that worship the letter, worship the scripture, but don't have a true relationship with the God of scripture that don't believe Jesus is supernatural. Don't believe in the supernatural power of God. And this for the next two chapters is what they struggle with. Everything Jesus says, they try to contextualize in a natural sense. How does that make sense naturally? And Jesus is like, I'm not talking naturally. I'm talking spiritually. So religious people rationalize and normalize and, and make everything in the natural realm. Jesus goes, this is spiritual matters I'm talking about. And this is what they were so mad about is they couldn't understand spiritually what was happening. Jesus is like, you can tell the weather, but you don't even know what I'm doing spiritually. Verse 20. Then the people answered and said, so he asked them, why do you seek to kill me? The people answered and said, you have a demon who is seeking to kill you. Just think about this. Let me highlight this. This is what they told Jesus when he came and preached truth. This is what they told him. The religious people came and said, you have a demon. So again, if you have religious people, because you're flowing in the supernatural or you're walking in the will of God or you're casting out demons. Maybe you're out there casting out demons and you're out there laying hands on the sick and you're preaching and then some religious pastor goes, oh, you must have a demon. You're casting out demons by the devil's power. You're in good company because this is literally what they told Jesus. They go, Jesus, you have a demon. You're casting out demons and, and we know Luke 11, they say you're casting out demons by the power of Satan. And he's like, what are you talking about? How can Satan cast out Satan? So look at the persecution here. Again, maybe some of you are like, man, I feel better about what people call me. You have a demon. This is the son of God, the one that leaves heaven, enters humanity, wraps himself in flesh, comes to die for our sins. And the religious people who should have known him, should have known who he was, said, you have a demon. And this is what Orthodox Jews will say to this day. They'll say Jesus was crazy. He was not their Messiah. I heard Ben Shapiro last week say Jesus was a crazy man who is not the Messiah, and he got killed for trying to lead a revolt. Like this was Ben Shapiro, a very famous guy, and he's an Orthodox Jew, and the Jews still think Jesus was crazy. He had a demon. To this day, Orthodox Jews believe that the Messiah is coming. He hasn't come yet, and they're waiting on him, and they think Jesus was a crazy person that revolted, and he was just a crazy, not even a prophet, just a crazy leader. So they still believe that. Orthodox Jews still believe that today. And Ben Shapiro literally said that in an interview. I'll post that video and react to it. It's absolutely crazy. But they said, you have a demon. Who, so this attitude is still going on today. Who is seeking to kill you? And they obviously know they've been trying to kill him. Verse 21, Jesus answered and said to them, I did one work and you all marveled. Moses therefore gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. Verse 23, if a man, look at this. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge. So he says, to judge, what does he say? With righteous judgment. This is how you're to judge. So they accuse him of having a demon. 
They deny that they're seeking to kill him, even though the Bible says they were seeking to kill him because religious people are always in denial of their true motives. They're always denying their true motives. They always, I'm, we're not trying to stop the move of God. Yes, you are. We still believe in miracles. No, you don't. We don't, we believe deliverance is real. We just don't believe the way you're doing it is the right way. So religious people are always in denial of their motives. And here their motive is to kill Jesus, but they're actually in denial. Jesus calls out their hypocrisy and says, you circumcise on the Sabbath, but I heal someone on the Sabbath. So you're basically breaking the same law. You're accusing me of breaking you hypocrites. Like you judge other people's sin and you do other sins that are just as bad. So you're saying, oh, these people are wrong and they're in sin. They're false. You're telling Jesus goes, you're telling me I'm false. You're telling me I'm wrong. And yet you yourselves do the same thing by breaking the laws. So the problem is religious people judge others one sin while at the same time committing their own sins. We need to be very careful that before we judge other people's sins, we're not committing the same sins. And the problem with these religious people is Jesus didn't say don't judge. What does Jesus say to do? He actually tells them to judge. God says don't judge. That's not what he says. Only God can judge me. That's not what the Bible says. Jesus says judge with righteous judgment. So if you're going to judge someone's sin, make sure you do it righteously. Don't be out here telling people you shouldn't be watching pornography while you're struggling yourself behind closed doors. Don't be out here telling people you shouldn't gossip when you're over here sinning with jealousy, envy, and unforgiveness. So it's this hypocrisy in the religious mindset that they judge, but they don't judge righteously. So Jesus was saying, if you're going to judge, judge righteously. You guys are hypocrites. You say one thing, but you do a completely opposite thing. Look at uh, verses 25 to 27. A lot of this is just, I'm giving commentary because there's nothing to really explain here. It's just conversations. And that will be mostly the theme of tonight. But I'll try to bring clarity where there is needed. Some of it, it's just, it says what it says. There's no clarity needed. Verse 25. Now some of them from Jerusalem said, is this not he whom they seek to kill? But look, he speaks boldly and they say nothing to him. This is so interesting. Do the rulers know indeed that this is truly the Christ? However, we know where this man is from, but when the Christ comes, no one will know where he is from. So the reason they're not, they're not believing in him as the Messiah is because they know where he came from. They know that he's son of Mary and Joseph, grew up in Nazareth. And these people obviously though, did not know what scripture predicted because Micah predicted the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. In Micah 5.2, it talks about him being born of, uh, from Beth Bethlehem from everlasting. So in the scripture, the confusion was they thought he would be from Bethlehem. The scripture taught he was born in Bethlehem, but of course he didn't grow up in Bethlehem. He grew up in Nazareth. So this is why they're confused. They're going, how could this be the Messiah? We know where this man comes from. Like we know this man did not come from where scripture says. And so the familiarity of, we know Jesus, we know he's the carpenter. We know he's the son of Mary and Joseph is what they really, really struggled with. Verse 28, then Jesus cried out as he taught in the temple saying, now this means Jesus yelled out. Jesus spoke loudly. If you don't think Jesus was loud in his preaching or teaching, there was often times where it said Jesus shouted. I know religious people hate shouting. I know they hate me because I shout, but Jesus was not doing this softly. He was emphasizing when it says he cried out, he's speaking loudly. He's not whispering. He's not talking low. He's not monotone. He's speaking this out loudly. He's emphasizing it. And this is what he, this is what he cries out in the temple, yells out in the temple. You both know me and you know where I'm from. And I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true whom you do not know. So this is the issue. You do not know the father. 
Okay, we have all these other issues of you guys and you guys are saying this or saying that. Here's the issue. You do not know the Father, but I know him. This is Jesus speaking. Of course, it's in red. For I am from him and he sent me. So Jesus is basically saying, you're right. You know where I came from in a physical sense. You all know where I came from. Son of Mary and Joseph came from Nazareth. But you're wrong in that. You don't realize I've not come of myself, but I've come of he who sent me. And the one that sent me, you do not know. So that's the issue here is you don't know the person that sent me. So of course you don't know me because you don't even know the one that sent you, that sent me. So yes, I'm using the new King James version. So this is the trouble. Jesus is going to keep telling the Pharisees for this chapter and the next chapter. You don't know God. You, you know, the God that you worship, which is not the God uh, that I've served. That's not my father. You worship a religious God. You've made up in your mind. This is not the true God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So the problem is why you're so confused, why everything you're taking it as natural, everything's, uh, you contextualize it and make it physical. You don't understand my power. You don't understand the supernatural. You're confused about me casting out demons. Jesus is like, I'm casting out demons and you're calling me the devil. I'm performing miracles and you're mad that I'm doing it on the Sabbath. I come as the Messiah. I've come from heaven. I already told you guys a few chapters ago, this is not physical bread. I am the bread that came down from heaven. You ate physical bread. I'm the spiritual bread. I'm the living water. Like I'm trying to explain to you guys, everything I'm saying is not literally physical. I'm the bread. I'm the drink my blood. I'm not talking about my real blood. I'm talking about symbolically. And they're just not getting it because it's all physical because they don't know the father. They don't know the spiritual side of God. They only know what they've read in the Torah, what they've studied in scripture. And so everything has to fit into this natural framework. Nothing could be supernatural. Nothing could be out of the ordinary. Nothing could be out of the box that they grew up knowing. Do y'all know anybody like this? Am I preaching to anybody? Does anybody know anyone like this? This is how I was raised. This is what I was taught. God can't move outside of my little box. We know what God's going to be like. We know what the Messiah was. This is the same thing that's happening today, happening back there with Jesus. And this is the argument that we're seeing. They're totally missing who Jesus is. They're totally missing the Messiah. Look at what it says in verse 30. Therefore, they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not come yet. So hey, no one, Jesus is like, no one's going to touch me because it's not my time. I'm, I'm in control of this, not you. Verse 31. And many of the people believed in him and said, when the Christ comes, will he do more signs than these, which this man has done? So they believed in him. This is like really interesting here. And I don't fully understand this. They believed in him. But then they said, when the Christ comes, will he do more signs than what, the, what you've done, what this man has done? It's like, I am Jesus is like, I'm the Christ. I'm the anointed one of God. I've come to proclaim liberty to the captives. I've come to declare sight to the blind, to open up deaf ears, to cast devils out. And they're like, when he comes, we believe in you. We believe what you said. But when the Christ comes, will he do more signs than these? And Jesus, I could imagine is just like, these people just don't get it. And they don't get it. And they're not going to keep getting it. There's this constant back and forth. The Pharisees, heard the crowd murmuring when these things concerning him and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. So the Pharisees come to take him, but no one can take him. He, this is this. He's completely in control. They try to grab him. They can't. They try to bind him. They can't. They try to arrest him. They fail because his hour has not come yet. And nobody, nobody takes his life. Jesus goes, I give my life. So you guys think you're going to 
come and take my life and do what you want to do, but I'm, I'm the one that's in control of this whole situation. There's no middle ground. You either believe in his word, like this group did, or you are against him. There's no middle ground. Look at verse 33. Verse 33. Then Jesus said to them, I shall be with you a little while longer, and then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me and not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. Then the Jews said among themselves, here we go again. Remember this, guys, this whole time they're going to try to like figure out in a physical sense of what he's talking about. They don't understand. This is all spiritual. They said among themselves, where does he intend to go that we shall not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What is the thing that he can, that he said? You will seek me and not find me. And where I go, you cannot come. They just completely don't understand. They're trying to figure it out. They're going like, oh, he's going to go away. Is he going to go to this far land and teach? Is he going to go tell everybody else about him and, and travel off? And Jesus is like, I'm going to heaven. I'm returning back to my father where I came from. That's where I'm going. That's where you can't go. And you can't go there because he's going to show us who their father is. It's going to get real spicy here because Jesus is going to reveal who these religious people's father is. So Jesus says, I'm going to return to my father. And they thought he's going to go to a faraway land. Verse 37. I love this. On the last day, that great day of the feast. So here's the last day of the feast of tabernacles. Jesus stood up and cried saying, here he is. Here he is yelling again. Here he is shouting again. Here he is crying out with a loud voice again. This quiet Jesus that Jesus would never yell like you. Jesus would never be, be would never be passionate. Jesus would never say anything. He would always just talk monotone like us. Cause you know, that's what religious people think is the quieter you talk and the more monotone you are, the more of the Bible you must know and the more spiritual you are. But here's Jesus, undignified, crying out, saying, here he is again, crying out, saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So here's Here's what Jesus is saying. Now, I want you guys to look at what this commentator said. On the first day of tabernacles, a priest read Zechariah, chapter 14, verse 8. In that day, they shall be that living waters will flow from Jerusalem. So that's the first day of the feast. They read that verse. For seven days, this is what a commentator said. For seven days, the priests led a procession from the pool of Siloam through the water gate of the temple. One priest would carry water from the pool in a golden pitcher. Once there, they circled the altar and the priest with the pitcher poured water in a basin at the side of the altar. The water offering by the priest helped the Israelites remember how God provided water to their ancestors during their desert wanderings. The people would wave palm branches and sing, Psalms. On the seventh day, they would circle the altar seven times. This ceremony was more than a time of praying for rain as they have good crops. It also illustrated the prediction in Zechariah 14 and Ezekiel 47 of living water flowing from the temple. During the last day of the celebration, Jesus gets up and shouts, he's the source of a steady stream of living water that would quench all spiritual thirst. In doing so, Jesus gave a new meaning to the celebration pointing to the Holy Spirit who was yet to come. And just as water would quench physical thirst, so the Spirit would satisfy people's inner thirst for God. Water also causes seeds and cuttings to grow and produces fruit. So too, the Spirit produces spiritual fruit in our lives, like joy, peace, and love. So the commentator is saying, this is part of the ceremony. On the last day, Jesus declares, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit 
and he will flow out of you like living water. There will be a new living water that will quench your thirst. So I want you to notice some things here. One is Jesus said, if anyone, if anyone, so anyone can receive the Holy Spirit. Doesn't matter what color, doesn't matter what background, doesn't matter what economic status. This was extremely controversial back then. Anyone can receive the Holy Spirit. Anyone can have relationship with God. Jew, Gentile, Greek, doesn't matter where you're from, what color you are, what your background is, how much you have in the bank. Anyone can receive the Holy Spirit. But what do we need? Jesus tells us, write this down. You need to be thirsty. You need to be thirsty. Thirst is biologically the strongest desire in the human body. You can go 40 to 70 days without food, but only three days without water because that's how important it is to drink. Psalms 42, David says, as a deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God, I thirst for the living God. So there's this real thirst in us saying, Lord, I thirst for you. I desire you. I get out of bed thirsty for God. Like do, and this is what I'm asking you. Do you wake up thirsty for God? Are you thirsty in your everyday life? Do you say, Lord, I thirst for you. I crave you. Where can I go and stand before you? I need, and I'm talking to somebody that's thirsty tonight. I need your power. I need your presence. I need your authority. I need your anointing in my life. I thirst for the living God. You have to have a thirst. I, I'm, I'm thirsty right now for God. I'm like, Lord, every day I want more of you. I want to know you. I'm, I'm so far from where I want to be. I thirst for the living God. I hunger for God. I don't care what anybody thinks about me. Make fun of me. Call me names. I'm thirsty. I need him. Where can I go? And David goes, where can I go and find him and stand before him? I, I, I remember how I used to be, David says. So this is the thirst that God is stirring in you tonight. This is the thirst. If you get nothing, get this. You must thirst for God. You must thirst for God. This is, this is actually a prerequisite to being filled is you must thirst. This is what Jesus is saying. Now, also, he says you need to be thirsty. So anyone that thirsts, that's a prerequisite. This is what he needs to do. Anyone can get it. You just need to thirst. Let him come to me and drink. So I'm, I'm here. I'm not going to go to you. You need to come to me and drink. This isn't like I have water right here. I don't know what brand this is. I think it's like Target or something. But, you know, times are hard. The struggles are real out here. I have to, if I want to drink this water, I'm thirsty right now, okay? I have to open up the bottle and I have to actually engage, okay? It doesn't happen by me sitting going, one day, in, one Sunday morning, God's going to pour out his spirit on me. If God, this is what the cessationists and reform say. If God wants me to speak in tongues, he'll make me speak in tongues. No, no, he won't. That's not what the Bible says. If you want the Holy Spirit, you need to come and drink. You need to actually participate. If God, if God is saying, do this, you need to do that. There has to be an active thing in you. It's not just God's going to come to me. He didn't even say, I'm going to come to you. He said, you come to me. You get thirsty. And when you're thirsty enough, you come to me and you drink. I'm here. I'm, I'm a river of living water. I'm a well that never runs dry, but you need to come to me. And we learn this with the woman at the well. He goes, I'm, I'll give you water. If you knew who I was, you'd ask me for water. I would give you water and you'd never thirst again. So come to me and I'm going to give you eternal living water. But this, and this is what the Bible says, I'm quoting it, but this he spoke concerning the spirit. So now what do we know living water is? Is the Holy Spirit. Living water is the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. I'm quoting this word for word, NLT here. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So it's not God just taking from you. God says, instead of drinking wine and getting drunk on that, 
Be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the, this is the adverse thing. Be filled. Wine ruins your life. The Holy Spirit changes your life. Being drunk leads to debauchery. The Holy Spirit leads to holiness. Wine gets you a DUI, gets you to wreck things and ruin your marriage and ruin your family. The Holy Spirit makes you a better husband, a better father, a better worker, a better person. This is the contrast. Alcohol ruins, the Holy Spirit changes, fills, and empowers. That's what Paul was saying in Ephesians here. So the Holy Spirit, the living water is the Holy Spirit, and out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. So it doesn't just flow in you, the Holy Spirit flows out of you. Other people are affected by what the Holy Spirit's doing in your life. Like, you guys tonight should be affected by what the Holy Spirit's doing in my life. The Holy Spirit is teaching me, training me, and disciplining me, and discipling me to learn the scripture, spend hours and hours preparing, getting this together. And that river that's in me tonight is flowing out of me, and you guys are receiving from that river. So the question is, is the river just flowing in, or is it also flowing out? Because the the Holy Spirit wants to fill you so that you can pour out, so that he can pour himself out of your life into other people, so that you'd go share your faith. And you, as you share your faith, the Holy Spirit's pouring out through you to other people. It's not just for you. The Holy Spirit's not just that you could just sit around on the couch and then when you die, you go to heaven, but the glory of God in you, Jesus, hope of the nations in you so that you can radiate onto others and impact other people and he can flow out of you. And that living water, when you get the living water, you'll never thirst again. People are like, why don't you drink? Why don't you party? Why don't you do drugs? Because I'm not thirsty. I'm not thirsty. I don't need it. I don't need to drink. I don't need to party. I don't need to sleep around. I don't need to do drugs. I, I already did that in my past. And I thought it was going to satisfy me and quench my eternal thirst. Because here's what everyone has listening tonight. You have eternal thirst. There's something in you crying out for eternity, for something more than what you're living. That's your eternal thirst. So you go to guys or girls or drinking or partying to try to quench your eternal thirst that only the Holy Spirit can quench. And that's the biggest problem is you got to keep going back to those things. So like the woman at the well had to keep going back and getting water. She goes, give me some of your water so I'll never have to come back here. And Jesus goes, the water I give, you'll never thirst again. Once you receive me, You'll never need all those things. You don't need to go with the guy. You don't need to go with the girl. You don't need to sleep around. You don't need to do drugs. You don't need to drink. You don't need to go to the bar. I don't need to do none of those. I have zero desire because I've already found what I've been searching for. Mm, that is good preaching. I've already found what I've looked, what I was looking for. And they said, should we look for another or are you the one? I, the, the search is over. I don't need to look for anyone else. He's the one. I, I'm, I am completely satisfied in God eternally zero desire for anything else but god this is what the living water gives you the world can't offer you this the devil is a loser and a liar and he can't offer you this only god can do not be mistaken only god can offer you living water and that is the living water every single one of us needs today this is the living water every single one of us need in our lives the water that only jesus offers us man i love that the holy spirit come and drink out of your heart will flow rivers of living water this concerning he spoke of the spirit believing and then look at it says believing in him would receive for the holy spirit was not yet given because jesus was not yet glorified this was a future promise that i'm going to give you the holy spirit i want that holy spirit tonight i want it i want it we're going to pray for it tonight i'm thirsty if i could drink wine every night i could be filled with the holy spirit it's not a one-time thing it's living water i could keep drinking so i'm i want to get filled again tonight this is what keeps us going that filling with the holy spirit verse 40 let's move along here Therefore, many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, this is what they said in quotes, 
truly this is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, will the Christ come out of Galilee? Has not the scripture said that Christ comes from the seed of David, from the town of Bethlehem, where David was? So there was division among the people because of him. Now, some of them wanted to take him, but no one laid hands on him. So some thought he was a prophet. Some thought he was a Messiah. But the confusion was, didn't the scripture say he would come from Bethlehem? Now, although he grew up in Nazareth, he was born in Bethlehem, fulfilling prophecy. So they didn't know the scripture that well because he did come from Bethlehem, fulfilling the prophecy. Verse 45, when the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why have you not brought him? Now, guys, I know I thought I was going to get through this in 15 minutes, chapter seven, but here we are 45 minutes later. Okay, but we're going to make it. We're going to make it. We're going to do this. It's going to be good. Then the officers We're almost done with chapter seven. Then the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why have you not brought him? They're trying to get him, but for some reason, they just can't get a hold of him. The officers answered, no man has ever spoke like this man. So the religious people, the chief priests, are asking the Roman officers, why did you not arrest him? Verse 46, the officers go, well, no one's ever spoke like this man. Like, that's the answer. We didn't arrest him because we don't know. No one's ever said anything that he said before. Like, we're perplexed by him. Then the Pharisees answered, are you also deceived? So the Pharisees are asking the Roman guards this. Having, have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Verse 50. Oh, we'll go into verse 50 in a second. So the guards basically didn't want to arrest him because they would have caused a riot. And the Pharisees are like, do you guys believe in him too? There's all this confusion. And then look at what verse 50 says. Nicodemus, he who came to Jesus by night being one of them, said to them. So this is chief Pharisee right here, Nicodemus. Does, does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? They answered and said to him, are you also from Galilee? Search and look for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. So Nicodemus who's some say a secret believer is saying, shouldn't we give him a trial? Like, shouldn't this man deserve a fair trial according to the law? And instead of agreeing with him, they ridicule Nicodemus and they call him a Galilean, which basically is, means stupid. They were saying, are you stupid? Are you also from Galilee? Because those from Galilee believed Jesus who they believed, excuse me, was a con artist. So Nicodemus is like trying to stand up for Jesus. Maybe we should give him a fair trial. They're like, dude, are you also from Galilee? You're basically, you're stupid because only the Galileans believe in this con artist named Jesus. So this is what they were telling him. This was the dilemma they're going through. Okay, let's go into chapter eight. We're moving along swiftly here. Chapter eight here. Everybody turn there. Verse one. It's on screen if you can't. So I hope you guys like it. Type one if you want me to keep it on screen. Uh, it does help people that don't have their Bibles with them. Verse uh, one, and everyone went to his own house. I'm sorry, verse 53, and everyone went to his own house. Chapter eight, verse one. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning, he came again into the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down and he taught them. So we don't know what everything Jesus taught was. We, we know he taught a lot. I wish we knew everything he taught, but there's a lot of stuff he did, a lot of miracles, a lot of deliverances, and a lot of teaching that we just don't know about. So God knows what he wanted to put in the scripture and we don't know everything Jesus taught, but Jesus was teaching constantly in the synagogue. Verse three, which did not make the religious people happy, as you can imagine. And then the scribes and Pharisees brought him to a woman, caught, brought him a woman caught in adultery, and they had set her in the midst. They said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. So like we actively caught her in adultery. Now Moses in the law commanded us that she should be stoned. What do you say? Now, my question for these Pharisees is, how did you know where to find her? if you weren't also sitting with her. And also, according to the law, if someone was caught with someone else's spouse, both parties would be stoned. 
So where's the man that they, she was caught with? Because he should be stoned as well. These two questions prove this is a setup. They don't care about the lady. They don't care about the law. They just want to perpetuate their agenda and bring their agenda forward. And they don't truly care about the, whether the law is broken or not. Just like religious people today don't truly care about the word of God. They care about their own religious agenda. So they're like, shouldn't we stone her? So according to the law, she should be stoned. So if Jesus says, let her go, they would be disobeying God's law. He's breaking God's law. If he said stone her, they would accuse him, accuse him of not being loving or having the mercy that he preached about. So really, there's no way to win here. Option A is stone her, obey the law. I'm sorry, option A would be disobey the law, don't stone her. Option B would be stone her, and they would say, well, you're not merciful and loving like you said you were. So what does Jesus do? We're going to find out in verse, verse 6, watch. This they said, testing him, that they might have something which to accuse him. They can't find nothing wrong with him, so they're setting him up now. Again, this is what religious people do. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger. And then I love this. As though he did not hear. Jesus does what do we do to the religious Pharisees. We act like we don't hear them. We don't respond. We don't make responses. We ignore them. Jesus ignored their religious people that are trying to set him up and trick him. He acted as though he didn't hear them. So then they continued asking him. He raised himself up and said, he who is without sin among you, let him throw the, the uh, throw a stone at her first. So option A, option B, but then Jesus brings in option C. Option C is ignore them. And Jesus does that just that. He acted as though he did not hear them. This is the best response to religious people. This is the best response to heresy hunters is do not give them a reaction. They want a reaction. They want a response, and Jesus goes, not giving you a reaction, not giving you a response. We don't know what he wrote on the ground, but we know that this was the last thing they wanted to hear. He who is without sin, throw the first stone. Why? Because we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We all deserve the full wrath of God. We all deserve, and we are all that woman that deserves something infinitely greater than being stoned. We deserve an eternity separated from God. But Jesus, did, not, did he not do this with us? comes down in our dirt, comes down in our mess, leaves heaven to come into the dirt with us and says, I forgive you, meets us where we're at, and instead of condemning us, offers forgiveness and peace with God. If you've encountered God, you know what it was like, and I know what it was like the moment we encountered him or had a, a moment with him or turned our life over to him where we felt like we should be condemned. We felt terrible for everything we did, and we felt the love and grace of God say, you're not condemned. You're not condemned, but go and sin no more. Somebody type in the chat, thank God for his forgiveness. Thank God for his forgiveness that we deserve death. We deserve to be stoned. We deserve what we have coming to us. But Jesus says, instead of giving you condemnation, like the law says, I'm going to give you grace and mercy, which was so out of the box for the religious people and for the Pharisees. Like they don't understand this peace with God forgiveness. What are you talking about, Jesus? Verse 9, then those who heard it being convicted, the religious people got convicted, what? By their conscience, went out one by one. Slowly, they backed away. Slowly, they left one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. Look at what he says. Does Jesus okay with her adultery? Some of you are like, oh, Jesus just lets her go. He doesn't care about her sin and adultery. Well, look what it says in verse 10. When Jesus raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, this is what he says to her. 
Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. This is Jesus. Didn't validate her sin. Didn't say your sin is okay. The beauty of forgiveness is once you get forgiven, you have a desire to stop doing the thing you are forgiven of. True forgiveness says, go and sin no more. I'm not okay with it. I don't like it. I want you to stop doing it. I'm not going to condemn you. This is grace, but go and sin no more. Don't keep doing it. The true forgiveness and grace of God is not a license to do whatever you want. It's a license to walk in freedom. It's empowerment to say, I don't have to go back to that thing I've been bound with, that thing I've been stuck on. I can go and sin no more. I'm washed by the blood of Jesus and I have a desire to no longer do this. So it's not Jesus validating or being okay with it. Jesus is forgiveness power. Jesus is forgiveness. Verse 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. One commentator said this during the feast of tabernacles, four huge memoras lit up the outside. Uh, I'm sorry. Memoras menorahs lit up the outside of the court at night while men danced and sang praises to God. The light commemorated the pillar of fire that led the Israelites when they wandered in the wilderness in Moses' day. At the end of the celebration each night, or rather, early in the morning, two priests faced the temple and proclaimed, Our fathers who were in the place turned their backs to the temple of God and their faces eastward and threw themselves down eastward before the sun. But we direct our eyes to Yahweh. It was in this context Jesus declared, I am the light of the world. So they were worshiping Yahweh, turning to the light, and Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. And look what it says here. This is what a commentator says. The one short sentence set off fireworks as Jesus uses the I am. This made it clear he was claiming to be God, and he is God. The Jewish people understood the light stood for God's holiness. As if that wasn't enough, Jesus claimed to be the light for all people, not just Jews. As the light pierces darkness, Jesus sheds light on God, showing people what he's like and what he does. Jesus' presence and teachings also shed light on the darkness of people's sin and separation from God. So people who follow Jesus do not walk blindly in sin anymore. Instead, they can see their sin and their need for forgiveness. Jesus says, he who follows me shall not walk, walk in darkness, but have the light of life. This is exactly what the commentator is saying and what Jesus is saying. Once you've received the forgiveness power of God, your sin is no longer in darkness. It's brought into the light. And what was once not wrong to you, you didn't feel bad about. It was completely fine. Once that happened, now you see your sin. You see what you were doing wrong. And you're like, I can't do this anymore. I got to change here. That's the beauty of the light of Christ, the light of the world coming to you is I didn't think cussing was wrong. I didn't feel convicted at all. Once I got saved, the light turned on and I was like, this is so wrong. I don't ever want to do this again. It was the light of Christ. That's what he's saying here. The light turns on. If the light is turned on, type one. If you know what I'm talking about, you're like, I remember when the light turned on, then type one. You know what I'm saying? Verse 13. The Pharisees, therefore, I'm, I'm honestly just tired of these Pharisees. They're, they're as annoying as the Pharisees are today. The Pharisees, therefore, said to him, you bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. <laughs> they're just like so annoying. Verse 14, Jesus said, Jesus answered and said, even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true for I know where I come from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from and where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. And yet if I do judge, my judgment is true for I'm not alone, but I'm with the father who sent me. 
Verse 17, it is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am the one who bears witness of myself and the father who sent me bears witness of me. So there's your two witnesses, Pharisees. So Jesus knew the law said for a testimony to be valid, it needs two witnesses. And Jesus reiterates, I'm not of my own accord. I'm a witness and the father is a witness. And even if Jesus didn't have a witness, he says, I know where I've come from and where I'm going back. I don't even need a witness because I know where I've come from before Abraham was, I am. Verse 19. Then they said to him, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. And this is where Jesus gets strong. If you're like, be nice to religious people, look what he says. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. These words were spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple and no one laid hands on him. His hour had not yet come. Look at verse 21 here. Then Jesus said to them again, Verse 21, I am going away and you'll seek me and you'll die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Because he says, where I go, you cannot come. And he said to them, you are from beneath. Look what he says to them. You are from beneath. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Notice Jesus doesn't try to correct them and say, I'm not going to commit suicide, but instead continues to make it clear. Here's your main problem. You don't know God. You do not know the father. The reality is this. Believing in Jesus equals spiritual life. Not believing in Jesus equals spiritual death, which is, remember, remember I taught you guys death means separation. Spiritual death is separation from God in an eternity in hell. Hell is a byproduct of being separated from God. There is only two destinations. You either go to heaven or you go to hell. There's no in between. So this is what Jesus was saying. He was saying, you guys are going to die in your sins. You're going to be eternally separated from God. Verse 25. Then they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I've been saying to you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true. And I speak to the, I speak to the world, those things, which I heard from him. Verse 27. They're basically saying, who are you plainly? And Jesus goes, I've been telling you who I am. You already know who I am. I'm the Christ. I'm the Messiah. Verse 27. They did not understand that he spoke to them of the father. Then Jesus said to them, when you lift up the son of man, then you'll know that I am he and that I do nothing of myself. But as my father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The father has not left me alone for I always do those things that please him. As he spoke these words, many believed in him. So they don't understand what he's saying. Jesus points to the ultimate proof, which would be them crucifying him. And then Jesus raising from the dead. That would finally, they would realize he was who he says he was. So they would finally, now some of them, these, this group of hard headed religious people, look at what it says here. As he spoke these words, many believed in him. So some of them were persuaded with his words. Some of them did believe in the words that Jesus said. Others of them, they didn't believe. Others of them stayed hard-hearted, but some of these Pharisees, they did believe in him. Verse 31, let's go through 31 through 33. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, if you, so some of the Jews believed, and this is what he says to them. If you abide in me, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. So how do I become a disciple? Abide in my word, obey my word. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. It makes you free. It's by force. They answered him. We are of Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you'll be made free? One commentator said, hold to is a verb that means to abide or to continue. Here it is used in holding to Jesus's teachings. This is active, not passive. To hold to, it means not just knowing the truth, but living in the truth. 
So Jesus is not saying you just need to know the truth one time in your life. Jesus is saying you need to abide, continue in the truth. This is why once saved, always saved. I don't ascribe to you. I believe it's false because Jesus would teach continue in the truth. You don't just get it one time and it's gone. You got to keep walking in the truth. You got to keep stepping out in the truth. Every day you got to choose to follow Jesus. It's not a one-time commitment. It's a daily decision. Paul said, I die daily. So we have to keep remaining in Christ, remaining in the truth, remaining in the vine. Verse 34, Jesus answered and said, most assuredly I say to you, most assuredly I say to you, look at this. Everyone in the chat, pay attention here. Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Wow. Whoever commits sin, you commit it, you're a slave to sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, it's the son who makes you free. You shall be free indeed. Sin controls us. And Jesus is the only one that has the power to break the back of sin. So without Jesus, you are a slave to sin. Oh, I don't, I'm not a slave. I could stop at any time. Prove it. No, you can't. You're a slave to your lust. You're a slave to your addiction. You're, there are entire organizations that are committed to trying to counsel you so that you're no longer a slave to these things and you get medication, you go through counseling therapy and you're still a slave because only Jesus has the power to make you free from the bondage of sin. Sin is a slave master, a taskmaster. It enslaves you. And Jesus says, I'm going to set you free. He's the only one that can do it. Sin controls, Jesus delivers. Verse 37, I know that you are Abraham's descendants. And by the way, they said, we've never been in bondage. They were in bondage constantly. They're in bondage right now to the Roman government. So I don't know what they're, they don't know what they're talking about. I know that you're Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. So he's going to really go in on them right here. I speak what I've seen with my father and you do what you've seen with your father. So here's a very interesting statement because he's going to introduce two fathers here. I speak what I've seen with my father and you do what you've seen with your father. Who's their father, Jesus? Because they're definitely not serving your father. So who's the other father you're accusing these Pharisees of serving? Look at 39. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you truth, which I heard from God, Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. Still hasn't told him who their father is. Who's the father, Jesus? Then they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father who is God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would have loved, you would love me for I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he who sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you're not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil. This is who their father is. This is the religious people, the Pharisees. You're like, be nice. They, Jesus was nice to them. He keeps going on about, you're just like your father. And they're like, who's our father? Abraham. He's like, nope. If you were the children of Abraham, you'd be doing the works that Abraham did. You're just like your father. Who's our father? The devil. The devil's your father. So we know there's two fathers, God and the devil. And people in this world are not children of God. People are like, be nice to these celebrities. They're children of God. No, they're not. No, they're not. If you are an unbeliever, you are a child of your father, the devil. You are not a child of God. The Bible says in John 1, you, ga you gain right to become children of God. You become children of God when you're born again, when you believe in him, believe on his name. You do not become a child of God when you're born into earth. You become a child of God when you're born into the kingdom. You're born a child of the devil. We are all children of the devil. We're not children of God inherently. The Bible says he gives us the right. So that means it's a privilege. 
you are your father, the devil. Now, why? Look at why. And the desires of your father you want to do. So why does the world want to sin? Because they want to do the desires of their father. That's why. That's why these demonic agendas on the Grammys, on the movies, on YouTube, and all this, how could they be so wicked, so evil? How could people do such perverted, wild things? Because they're just fulfilling the desires of the Father and the, what their Father wants them to do. And that's to still kill, destroy, ruin, abuse, manipulate, torment, torture, and every foul thing I can't say here. That's because that's the, what the devil wants. And then look what it says about the devil. Now Jesus says, you're just like your father, the devil. Here's why. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. There's literally no truth in the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning. And, and here's the kicker. You guys are going to try to kill me. That's what Jesus is saying. You're, the, you're just like your father, the devil. You're going to try to murder me because your father's a murderer. That's why. So you're going to try to kill me. And then he says, when he speaks a lie, Jesus is telling us about the devil. So pay attention to this. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. So he has resources for he's a liar and the father of it. So he's not just a liar. He's also the father of lies. The devil's native tongue is lying. He doesn't even, he's the father of it. That's his native tongue. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. So I speak truth, Jesus says. You believe your father though, who's the devil and the liar. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's word. There be, therefore, you do not hear, this is to the religious people, because you are not of God. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the two, chapter seven and eight. It all comes down to this. You are not of God. You serve the God of religion, who is the devil. These are religious Jews that have 619 laws they're trying to live by. And he goes, no, you're not of God. You've rejected me. You're just like your father, who is the devil. He was a murderer. So are you. He was a liar. So are you. He speaks from his own resources. So do you. You're not a child of God. You're a child of Satan. That's not rude. That's not arrogant. That's not mean. That's the reality. The devil is a liar. Literally. Verse 48. Now let's see what they think about this. Then the Jews answered and said to him, do we not say rightly that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? What are you? He just said you're the, your father, Satan, and they hurl an insult at him because this is what religious people do when they don't know how to debate or argue or prove their point. They just, there's a heretic. He's a false prophet. He's a false teacher. He has a demon. He, he needs to get delivered. Isaiah Saldivar has a demon. Do we not rightly say that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? They're like, don't you have a demon? Again, they just keep, can't get over this whole Jesus has a demon. Jesus answered, I do not have a demon. Man, I wish I could just shout that to somebody. I feel it here. I do not have a demon. This is Jesus speaking. I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. And I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Most surely I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Then the Jew said to him, now we know that you have a, a demon. So here they are again. We know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead and the prophets and you say, if anyone keeps my word, shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father, Abraham? Which by the way, guys, Abraham lived 2000 years before this. Jesus was only in his mid thirties. Okay. So look at though, look at what he says. So just be clear what he says here. If anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father, Abraham, who is dead? So you're saying you're not going to die yet. Our father Abraham's dead. Are you greater? And the prophets are dead. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered. Oh, I love Jesus. Look at it. If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. 
It is my father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you've not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jew said to him, You're not even 50. Excuse me. You are not yet 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? Whoo, this is one of my favorite lines in all of scripture. Somebody write this in the chat. And Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. They go, Jesus, you're not even 50. And you've seen Abraham? He goes, oh, no, 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 no. I haven't just seen Abraham. Before Abraham was, I am. This is Jesus's claim to be God. Jesus declaring to be God. Jesus is God. Jesus says, I am. This is God's title. Any of you that say, Jesus never claimed to be God. He was just a prophet and the son of God. The devil is a liar. Jesus said, I am. Like, literally, Jesus was there before Abraham. Verse 59, here's how they respond. Then they took up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them. And so he passed by. Jesus, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, declares to, the, to these people that before Abraham was, I am. This is the God that we worship. This is the God that we serve. This is the God that we pray to tonight. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one that says, I am. And we have full access to him. And he lives through the person of the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. Let us pray tonight. I know this was two chapters of Jesus arguing with the religious people. But let us pray tonight for God's power, God's anointing, that we would thirst. That we would hunger for righteousness. That we would thirst for righteousness. That Jesus would fill us with his Holy Spirit. The promise of living water. Now here's the beauty. Here's the beauty I want you guys to see. Jesus promised us living water. I'm sorry. Jesus promised them there would be a coming a time of living water. And guess what? We're living in that time right now. We get to read that and say we're in that prophecy. The living water is not coming. The living water is here. How exciting is that that we get to live in the time of living water flowing? So what do I have to do? Be thirsty. Ask. Receive. Put, your, put yourself in a posture to receive. Ephesians 5.18, don't be drunk with wine. It'll ruin your life. It'll ruin your life, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray right now that the Holy Spirit would fill us. Come on, begin to pray right now. Father, we thank you, Lord, for what you're doing right now. Lord, we ask you, according to your word, according to the book of John, we come thirsty, we come hungry, and we ask you for rivers of living water. Holy Spirit, we ask you to flow in our life right now. We ask you to flow with your living water, with your spirit, Come and flow in our life. Living water, fill us right now. We pray in Jesus' name that you would fill us, that out of our belly, out of our heart, will flow rivers of living water. I pray those, Lord, who have never been filled with the Holy Spirit, who have never prayed in tongues. Maybe you, you say, man, I want to pray in tongues. I pray right now, Lord, they would be filled with rivers of living water. Fill them right now, Father. Fill our children. Fill our families. Fill our marriages with rivers of living water. Just flow, flow, flow in Jesus' name. Flow right now in Jesus' name. We pray rivers of living water. Power of the Holy Spirit. Anointing of the Holy Spirit flow. We ask you in Jesus' name. You said to ask. Lord, you said to ask. 
You said to be thirsty, we thirst. I pray for those that aren't thirsty, you would make us thirsty. I pray, Lord, right now, you would make us thirst. You'd make us hunger. Right now, in Jesus' name. We pray rivers of living water. Fill us up, Lord, right now. Let it flow out of you, rivers of living water. Rivers of living water. We know the religious people hate it. We don't care. We know they think we're crazy. We don't care. We know the world will hate us because we're your disciple. We don't care. We are willing to stand for truth and be filled with rivers of living water. Fill us, Holy Spirit. Let the river flow. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Someone said, I asked and I received. Receive it right now. Holy Spirit, we're thirsty for you. Holy Spirit, we're hungry for you. Holy Spirit, we're desperate for you. We need your power. We need your anointing. We need your spirit to flow right now. We pray rivers of living water just flow, flow, flow. Rivers of living water flow in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, Lord, do what only you can do. In Jesus' name, Lord, right now, do what only you can do. Flow. Come on, ask him for the Holy Spirit. Some of you, you want this so badly. Ask him for the Holy Spirit. He will give you rivers of living water right now. Holy Spirit, we pray flow. Flow in Jesus' name. Do what only you can do. Empower us, God. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Fill us with your anointing. We receive it in Jesus' name. Rivers of living water overflow. Overflow in us, God. Overflow in us, God. Pour out your spirit. Heal us in our bodies. Deliver us from demonic spirits. Break religion off of us, God. We don't want to be religious. We don't want to be religious. We want to serve you. We want to know you. We want to follow you. In Jesus' name, rivers of living water flow. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do in us. Change us. Deliver us. Heal our bodies. Restore our minds, God. Take the foul ground, the, the rough, rocky soil, and just make it tender tonight. Break stubbornness off of us. Break laziness. Break laziness off of us in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, we pray you'd break laziness. You'd bring rest. You'd bring rest to us. You'd bring breakthrough to us. You'd bring freedom to those that are in bondage. In Jesus' name, we want to serve you. We want to know you. Fill us with the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Baptize us afresh in the Holy Spirit, God. Do what only you can do. We surrender to you. We surrender to you. Have your way, Lord. Have your way, Lord. Power of the Holy Spirit, anointing of the Holy Spirit. Break laziness off of us. Break fear off of us. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. We lay everything at your feet. We surrender to you. We pray for the fire of God to just touch our life right now. We pray for the passion of God to touch our life right now. Lord, do what only you can do. We can't do this without you. We need your Holy Spirit. We need your fire. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Fill every person this broadcast. We want to thirst and hunger for righteousness, God. We don't want to be Pharisees. We don't want to be like the devil. We want to serve you. We want to know you. We want to encounter you. We want breakthrough in our mind, in our marriage, in our family. God, have your way right now. We pray in Jesus' name. Have your way, Lord, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, have your way. Fill us to overflow. We want this river, Lord, to flow out of us and touch people around us. So we pray that you would fill us to overflow in Jesus' name. Just ask him right now to overflow. Fill us to overflow, God. Mark us today, Lord. Fill us today, Lord. Have your way in our life. 
Thank you, Lord. We break sickness. We break every demonic power. Satan, you have no power. We command you to come out in Jesus Christ's name. Leave these people in Jesus' name. Loose them in Jesus' name. Satan, you have no power and no authority. The Lord rebukes you, Satan. We command you to come up and out in Jesus' name. And up and out in Jesus' name. Every unclean spirit. Someone said, I'm grinning for no reason. That's probably an unclean spirit if you're grinning. Every foul spirit, leave now in Jesus' name. Every foul spirit, leave now in Jesus' name. You have no power. You have no authority. The Lord rebukes you, Satan. Loose these people now. Come up and out now in Jesus' name. Loose them now. Out in Jesus' name. Spirit of fear, off in, in Jesus' name. Go now. Leave in Jesus Christ's name. The devil is a liar. Satan, we break your lies now. We no longer will believe your lies. We no longer will believe your lies. Come out of them now and go into the abyss. Out of their mouth and into the abyss in Jesus' name. We evict you in Jesus' name. We evict you. Every curse must be broken. Every curse must be broken now in Jesus' name. Satan, you're a liar, you're a thief, and we command you out in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Fill them with the Holy Spirit. Satan, you're a liar. We come against you now. We break your power. Lord, fill them with the Holy Spirit. Heal their bodies in Jesus' name. Lord, do what only you can do in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, have your way. We ask for your spirit, your anointing, and your power tonight. In Jesus' name. Every spirit must go. Every spirit must go. Come out now. Come out now. Into the abyss you go. You have no power, no authority. Go now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you guys want to sow into this broadcast, we are viewer supported. I'm going to put the links to give on screen. If you're listening on Spotify, you can give on IsaiahSaliver.com slash partner. If you Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. If you like what you heard, go to www.isaiahsaldivar.com for more content. And please follow me on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Isaiah Saldivar. See you next week.